Lots of channels, nothing to watch, especially if you're searching for the truth. It's time to interrupt your regularly scheduled programs with something actually worth watching. Salem News Channel, straightforward, unfiltered, with in-depth insight and analysis from the greatest collection of conservative minds like Hugh Hewitt, Mike Gallagher, Sebastian Gorka, and more. Find truth. Watch 24-7 on SNC.TV and on Local Now, Channel 525. The views and opinions expressed by Rob Black and his guests are not necessarily those of KDOW or its management owners or advertisers and should not be construed as legal tax or investment advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision. Welcome in. Rob Black and your money. I'm Rob Black. Talking money, investing, and more. 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. You want to talk strategy, politics? No. Do you want to talk entertainment, retirement? No. Talk- no. No. What's going on? Yep. Yep. So Sting's working well into his 60s, right? He's on tour yet again. That's a good skill to have. Ibano Vox, the ability to put food on the table. What would you do from age 60 to 100 if you had to do something for money? Or is that the period of time where you're like... Just being good to yourself at that point. So I just saw that Sting might be coming to the Bay Area. I've got the worst Sting story of all time. And I just saw a guy who was at the same show. Have I ever told you this story? No, I'm not sure. I saw Sting and Peter Gabriel last year. I've always liked Peter Gabriel. I've seen Peter Gabriel enough that I don't want to see him anymore. But I've never seen Sting in a great scenario. I saw him 10, 15 years ago when they came to the Oakland Arena with the police. They were just awful. It yeah, was, I was there. It, it was, was awful. an awful show. So I was like, I'm going to forgive Sting. I'm going to do it. So I went to the SAP Center. SAP Center has got like 18,000 people. Something like that. And um, I get 10th row seats. And I'm enjoying it. And the crowd's into it. And then there's like a song, and it's one song Peter Gabriel, one song Sting, one song Peter Gabriel, one song Sting. And their backup singers kind of helped each other. This couple in front of me, one seat in front, wouldn't sit down the whole show. So at one point in time, 17,998 people are sitting down because the song's just slow. It's the one of those Peter Gabriel, um, Stephen Biko songs. It's not a song you dance to. And uh guy must have been so stoned. He stood up and danced. You know the dance where like, your hips don't move, but your whole upper body does? I know, I, I sound like an old cranky guy. I went to a concert and people should up the whole time. No more. I'm not going to take this anymore. But when 17,998 people are sitting down, taking a little bit of a breather, take a little bit of a breather. To this song. Are you with me or against me? All right, all right. I'm with you. Anyway, it's Tony Mendez, BayAreaLoanSource.com. How are you, Tony? Good morning. Talk real estate because uh, we are in a, an environment where things are shifting from super low cost interest rates, super low cost mortgages. We went from an environment that shifted from too easy of credit in 2006, 7, 8, 9, 10 to too tough of credit. But now we're starting to ease up a little bit because every now and then you'll drop a bomb on me and go, oh, look, it's a no document loan or, oh, look, it's a no credit score loan. So things do, seem to be. Um, Loosening. Is that a fair statement? It is. It is. And uh, you're talking about the 
low-rate environment to transitioning to a higher-rate environment um, is catching a lot of people off guard. And I think we're going to see a little rush towards trying to either refinance or buy a house, more in the buying a house side, because who doesn't want to get something in the 4% range now, which is funny because we were talking about the 3% range less than a year ago or two years ago, and now let's get something in the 4% range. So, I mean, the standard, I'm talking your low-balance rate is now probably like 4.6 now. So, yeah, they're moving up. Yeah, they're moving on up to the east side, to a deluxe apartment in the sky. <laughs> Low-down payment loans are the popular again. That's kind of, it's, it's, it's worrying me a little bit, because one of the things I've been hiding behind in the last few years is, our economy, our economic recovery is looking pretty good because loans were so difficult to get that if you got a loan, there's a pretty good chance you're going to be able to service that loan. And if you're able to service that loan, banks don't go out of business. Banks don't have failed loans. Banks don't tie to tighten too much. So is that kind of a truth? Yeah. You know, low down uh, banks are doing anything they can to get business. All right. We, we've already known that the big banks, the big like the Wells Fargo's Bank of America and so on, they're moving towards just filtering the clients that they really want to focus on. And that's the high credit score, the high down payment, probably even clients of their own. And they really focus on them. So it's, that's leaves a lot of people kind of shuffling around looking for the right lender or the right product for, and the, the wholesale lending market has really picked up. They do more than 50% of the uh, origination in the United States for mortgages. And that's using a broker. And there's a reason, because these lenders or investors are coming out and saying, we have pretty much a product for everybody. Uh, the loan down payment products are popular because, I mean, you look at a place like the Bay Area and, you know, $100,000 is 10% of a million dollar property. But in Denver, it's 25%. So you, the lenders have to figure this out and how it works for people. And they're doing products where like no mortgage insurance. And they're like, oh, with 10% down, it doesn't meet 20%. I'd have to get mortgage insurance. But no, there's products right now. You can get even through Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac and um, the, these products that don't have mortgage insurance. And it's it really is something that is needed part of the market. So you're going to keep seeing this type of movement towards looser regular looser. LTV credit score and other guidelines. I wonder if lenders prefer if like a, a Bank of America or a Wells Fargo or a United Wholesale Mortgage would rather do 10 loans at $100,000 or one loan at a million dollars or if they prefer lower cost markets like Austin versus the Bay Area. Um, I know that I know there's a lot of math in it. I know there's a lot of, you know, uh, algorithms in it. I, I think it's I think volume is always some sort of mentality like the if you were in the car business, you want to sell more cars instead of like fewer, more expensive cars. I, I, I don't know how they were. I think volume speaks words. Uh, we Several years ago, I worked for a company where our office did a certain X dollar amount. It, let's just say it's $100 million a, a year in mortgages. Um, another person did the same amount, but they did more volume. They were in Sacramento, so they did three times more loans, but the volume was the same. And they were recognized and we weren't. So it was, it's like, I think that they would go for the volume. Okay. That was kind of a weird situation. Cause I'm standing in the back of the room going, well, what about us? You know, it was kind of strange. Not worth getting into that much, but yeah. I, I think lenders want volume because they want the, they want the repeat business from those people later is yeah. the whole, the whole process. Gotcha. So I was just, you know, the bigger they are, the harder they fall. Um, it, it works on so many levels. On an individual level, if you buy a million, uh, $600,000 property, it goes up 
10%, just made $60,000. On a $100,000 property, you goes up 10%, you just made 10. So individually, you score bigger with the bigger numbers, but you also risk more. Same thing with the banks. Sure. So it'd be interesting to study because uh, do we really think that a 1,600 square foot house in the Bay Area is worth inherently more for the house and the land than, say, Richmond, Virginia, or Austin, Texas. No, it's the same house, it's the same land, except for the fact, oh, Facebook and Google work five miles down the road. In one and not the other. So, anyway, um, credit scores. How are credit scores uh, working these days? Didn't they get lightened up easy, made easier recently? Again, that goes back to the products, and to answer your question, yes. Um, We were just talking about a... Uh, Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac. So lenders are are doing this neat little trick where they can okay, we you don't have to have a credit score uh, to use this product, but we're going to underwrite you under this other product and then switch you back over to the product as on the back end and sell it. So yeah, lenders are really figuring out how to pretty much capture everybody. Um, you still want to look at your credit because the difference can be. Uh, about 1% between a 640 score and a 740 score, especially if you're in a jumbo loan or you're taking some cash out or it's a duplex or an investment property. So, yeah, credit, credit scores, scores are important to monitor a lot. Incredibly important. You can find Tony Mendez if you want to get a loan. He just did my loan last month. You can find him at bayarealoansource.com. Catch Rob Black and Rob Black and Your Money live on the Bay Area Airwaves. Weekday mornings from 7 to 9 on AM 1220 KDOW and streaming live on the KDOW radio app or KDOW.biz. And don't forget the weeknight replay at 7. So in the first segment, I talked a little bit about breaking up big tech. And Lord knows I'm not an attorney or anything along those lines. So I'm not saying it's going to happen. I'm saying that at one point in time, Microsoft was on cruise control in the 1990s. And owning Microsoft made you money hand over fest because every operating system that was sold on computers was basically Microsoft. And then every office product was basically Microsoft. And they got a little bit cocky with the, we also want every browser open to be Microsoft. And Netscape said, hey, 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 you got to open this up to competition if you own the operating system. And people kind of believe and kind of agreed. So, in the end, uh, Office is a lot cheaper today because of it. Operating systems are a lot cheaper today because of competition. Um, so, it's it's out there. Just work with it. Hot and sexy stocks. I've been doing stock talk now um, for a large part of my radio and television career. I've kind of reintroduced uh, Stock Talk 2.0. And it's funny to watch how things have changed because uh, now we're talking, you know, we went from Web 1.0 to Web 2.0. And Web 1.0 was companies like Network Solutions that had basically a monopoly on setting up domain names. And they didn't know how to stop it, the government. They didn't know how to stop it. So they kept extending these contracts to let them do it, let them do it, let them do it. And finally, you know, the competition goes, this isn't fair, you know, to get robblack.com or robblackshow. He has to pay X amount of dollars a year, and he can't go anywhere else to basically have someone key it into a computer. I know, I know, it's more complicated than that. Please, nerds, do not drop me emails. I'm just throwing it out there. So now I'm talking from network solutions and like Web 1.0 of having a brochure online to more like PayPal and Venmo and growth on e-commerce. And, you know, making that ever so easier. So that's out there. 
as far as ideas go. Um, there's no easy fix out there for the mushrooming debt that is hitting the U.S. government. And this is probably one area that I'm turning a blind eye to. And it's been something that's hung over me my whole entire investing life and my whole entire life. Do you remember that television commercial when you were a child that had an American Indian? And uh, as you pan out on him, you see a big tear in his eye, a huge tear. And you're like, what's making him cry? And they might be playing, and this just might be a faulty memory in my head. This land is your land. This land is my land. They weren't playing that, but that's what's playing in my head. And uh, as they pan out again, you see that he's crying because of the huge amount of waste material being built up, trash in the world. And uh, I remember thinking kind of the same exact way, but with debt. So there's very little inflation right now. It's tame. That's a good thing. Because when we start taking a look at our debt levels, they're at what always feels like dangerously high levels. So when inflation kicks up, we may be putting ourselves in a situation where paying off our debt is more expensive. Same thing with your mortgage. When your mortgage is at 5%, it's more expensive than paying off a mortgage at 4% if it's the same value of the home. Same thing with inflation. So if your debt is you know, $1,000 and the cost of the dollar weakens because of inflationary numbers scale higher, it... it you're putting more of your money or less of your money in that case into paying off your debt. So sorting debt can be a big worry out there. And, you know, the U S is often pointed out that debt is denominated in dollars and the fed has the ability to print said dollars. So there won't be any default on debts, but how much will we weaken the debt in the future? And how much will we weaken the dollar in the process of, of managing our debt? So the debt deniers are quite right in the sense that debt's not a problem because we'll just print money. But that'll cause inflation, in theory. And the bigger the debt gets, the more money you have to print. The more money you have to print, the less value the dollars in your hand are. So for politicians, a big problem is, you know, um, looking at the crisis of populations. One of the reasons we have immigration in the United States that was so open was because millennials and Generation Xers aren't having enough babies to pay the bills for the social uh, for the social security benefits, the healthcare benefits for baby boomers as they retire. So come on in, illegal worker. Come on in, worker. Come on in, illegal worker. Illegal worker. 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 Here's another visa. Here's another illegal. Um, if you're creating jobs and you're creating you know economic traction for able-bodied workers, you're helping secure you know the business model that pays for uh, our social programs, our entitlements. So by the year 2030, which isn't that far away, you know, self-driving cars are 2020, they say. Uh, But by the year 2030, yearly deficits of 1.5 trillion plus will become the norm. Um, And Greenspan is referring, Alan Greenspan, former uh, head of the Federal Reserve, He's referring to it as the tsunami of soaring cost that will hit the federal budget. 2030. And, you know, we've seen presidents like George W. Bush, Barack Obama, Donald Trump talk about, you know, I, I need to spend money, I need to spend money, I need to spend money. And we're not getting that surplus of money to pay down our, our 
trillions of dollars of debt, and it's going to be a problem, right? Um, it won't be what you think it is, because like I said, we're not going to fail on the debt. We'll create more inflation by printing more dollars. But there's also going to be other problems that arise. 40% of our debt right now is being held by foreigners, and they're likely at some point in time to perceive you know, our bigger and swelling debt as we're going to sell off some of these bonds and see you later, alligator. You go finance your own debt. Probably the only financial radio show that uses the phrase, see you later, alligator, when referring to bond obligations. Um, but the only way we'll ever get our budget under control is to get our government under control. You can tax the bejesus out of rich people. You can tax the bejesus out of corporations, and it ain't going to be enough. It's our government. So the Bureau of Economic Analysis says, you know, the government's vast holdings of non-defense equipment and structures, including national parks, um, roads, maybe we have to start selling those off. So I know you're saying... So we're going to go into Yellowstone and this Yellowstone National Park sponsored by Smucker's Jelly. Uh, yeah, yeah, I think we should do naming rights sooner than later. I think we should uh, privatize a lot of our roads and let, you know, a private company come in and tax them and set up toll gates if they have to. That's what they have to do. There's federally owned land for which no value has been estimated. The feds own approximately 640 million acres. Staggering 28% of the total number of acres in 50 states. So we have stuff, but we put you know, the Arctic National Wildlife Reserve on it, where if we sell that, we're going to piss off a lot of people. A lot to think about, right? But a lot to work with, too. I'm Rob Black, Money Investing More. Find me online at Rob Black Show. Code to get into seminars for free, Radio 25. Want the podcast with music? Find the link to the other version of the podcast by going to Rob Black's Twitter. His handle is at Rob Black Show. Listen to Rob Black and Your Money weekday mornings, 7 to 9 on AM 1220 KDOW. Welcome back in. Rob Black and Your Money. I'm Rob Black. It's summertime, so I'm already starting to think of a little less economic activity, a little more downtime. Things move by fast, but there's a lot of big stories out there. Let's talk about the hot streak on Wall Street. Bring in Patrick O'Hare from briefing.com. Man, this is a tough market for me to read, Mr. O'Hare. I can't tell if we're going to finish the year higher or if we're about to go off a trade um, packed deal cliff, so to speak. How are you, Mr. O'Hare? Okay, Rob, I'm doing well, thanks. Um, I think you um, highlight the main issue for the market is that, you know, while the future is inherently unpredictable, um, there are headlines in the here and now <clears throat> that make it very difficult to commit one way or the other um, because uh, there's some big issues that could be resolved one way or the other that, that will make a big difference for the broader market. And I think that that's contributing to this uh, sideways choppiness that we've uh, seen for many months now. And granted, we're kind of at the upper end of that, closer to the upper end of the trading range, but um, but without any resolution to uh, to those trade matters in particular, I think the market continues to um, <clears throat> fight internally with the unknowingness about what's going to happen with interest rates um, and trade matters in particular. So some of the headlines out there, obviously, they're kind of all blending together to me. The Jolts report showed number of job openings high. The unemployment rate shows... In a crazy good economy, if you have a job um, or a crazy good healthy job market, maybe not with wages, but it's a low rate. And uh, 
then you start getting into the trade wars or no trade wars. You start getting into the oil prices, the not oil prices, the inflation interest rates. They all kind of seem to be meeting in the middle a little bit. The way I feel, the way I feel it, and the way I'm kind of seeing it, um, and we can't seem to break out of those worries. Uh, one crops up, we get over it. Then another one crops up, we get over it. Am I on to that, or or am I reading it wrong that we're just kind of treading water? No, I think I think you are right on to it, um, and you know, and I think that something that we always need to bring up, though, in a, in a market like this, it's just kind of been frustrating for some of the bulls who are thinking that you should have a much stronger performance, you know, given the tremendous earnings growth that we saw registered in the first quarter, and as well as the tremendous earnings growth that's expected throughout throughout the year. Um, but again, to come back to that. Uh, interest rate dynamic, I think you have a lot of people that are cognizant uh, that, you know, you've hit an inflection point with respect to the Fed's monetary policy. And so while you have all these other um, residual issues going on around uh, the market as they relate to trade, uh, oil prices, um, things like that, uh, political, you know, geopolitical dealings, North Korea, you know, you still have a market that is is trying to figure out are rising interest rates uh, going to be uh, viewed through a prism of, of being a good thing or being a bad thing, right? Because you can have interest rates go up in a good way because they reflect an improving economy that's going to you know underpin stronger earnings growth potential. Uh, but you can also have interest rates go up in a bad way that reflects you know uh, inflation. Uh, getting uh, faster than expected, um, and/or you know concerns about the growing budget deficit, uh, leading to increased supply and higher rates, you know, in the treasury market, and so you know the market is is just not uh, uh, hasn't hit a, a point of closure yet in terms of how it wants to think about things, um, because it, there's a valid argument I think on 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 either side of the fence right now that when you come off of a year which you've had a double digit gain uh and you've come off of a uh basically you know an eight plus year you know bull market uh that has registered 200 percent plus gains you know there's going to be a period of consolidation as you kind of sit there and contemplate okay what's next you know what does drive that next leg up after such a such a tremendous run and one of the main causes uh, for pausing this year though is again to come back to this uh, idea about earnings growth being so strong and yet the market was somewhat um, uh, neutral toward it you know which which of course invited the concerns about you know being close to or at peak earnings you know in a forward-looking market will understand that uh, the comparisons uh, in the year-ahead period for the first quarter are going to be extremely strong. They're going to be strong for all four quarters in 2019, you know, as we're going to be lapping the positive impact of the tax cuts, uh, a lot of share buyback activity, um, you know, and things like that. So, so I think that's, you know, one of the main factors is just kind of hanging over the market here and acting as a restraining influence. But we shouldn't forget the market is still up, you know, for the year, up close to 3% before dividends. Um, so doing okay. It's just not the type of return that one might have has grown accustomed to seeing and would perhaps be expecting relative to the strong pace of earnings growth that, uh, that we're now seeing unfolding. 
it's not really a sexy up market where people want to listen to radio shows and podcasts and television shows. It's not really a, a down market where people are panicked and look to radio shows and podcasts and television shows to make up the difference. Yet there's some pretty interesting news out there. Like, for instance, Howard Schultz is stepping down to pursue uh, other interests as chairman of Starbucks, which I think is one of the greatest companies of all time. I think he's one of the greatest CEOs of all time. Uh, he's got a good international feel. And um, will he or won't he run for president? There is big questions on that. But he's also got notions of the single-payer health care coverage and government-backed full employment. And he's an interesting guy to listen to right now. Are there any CEOs that you're enamored with? Or if maybe throw out one or maybe even talk about Schultz for a second. Well, of course, Tim Cook always gets you know tossed around in, um, in that mix of CEOs that he's just kind of have to uh, just, you know, really respect and admire um, when you consider the uh, the shoes he had to fill at Apple and, and the tremendous, uh, you know, wealth creation he's helped uh, bring about uh, leading uh, Apple in the post-Steve Jobs era, obviously. Um, you know, Satya Nadella at Microsoft um, has been an absolute stud in terms of creating, you know, uh, shareholder values since, since he took over the reins there. So, um, yeah, there's a you know there's always you know plenty of people in the mix there that you can express some admiration for Howard Schultz certainly among them, uh, no doubt about that. Yeah, I'm always just I, I try to find the stories, and I, I honestly think CEOs have some pretty good stories. Like you said, Tim Cook, a uh, homosexual male who is dominating the business world, who doesn't make a big thing out of being a dominant CEO. He's just kind of quiet, and yet his policies on energy conservation, Schultz on race race, race relationships, I kind of find it, they kind of have to be the leaders now. And Oracle has a high school in their building out here. Um, it's like we're turning to corporations to help us, which I find a good story. Um, anything else out there in the, the world of business that you're looking at uh, that you find you want to chit-chat about? Maybe something you're working on for your Friday report? Well, you know, what you said, you know, earlier about how, you know, kind of people aren't necessarily all that interested in tuning into podcasts and, and fair, uh, fair. you know, and market commentary, if you will, when it comes to this year's this market. Um, I kind of, I do find it somewhat exhilarating each day because I think this market is like that uh, proverbial box of chocolates that Forrest Gump talks about, right? And that you never know what you're going to get, right? Each day seems to produce another headline that creates some volatility. And granted, you might have a sideways trending market, but it's a market you can't turn away from. Um, you do need to continue to pay attention to it because we are at some important inflection points, and um, and there's some important things to to consider as it relates to the ability to continue this bull market move or to see it, you know, get upended. Um, so uh, so while it might seem uninteresting as we look at things from an index perspective, uh, it is it is a market that you need to keep tabs on, and and you want to keep listening to uh, to people like you, Rob, and and hopefully we'll continue to keep. You know, reading commentary from people like me uh, as we try to make sense of it. Well, that's a very kind thing of you to say. But with that being said, I, I'm searching for news to help people right now. And I go to like the Southwest 24 hour, 48 hour sale at $100 round trip. That's better than telling them like Twitter is going into the S&P 500. Um, I find it difficult. Some days I find it difficult to, to determine what's going to help people and what's not going to help people. Um, how does this this bull market end? Do you have a clue, or is it like you said, you're just going to show up to work one day and you're going to say it's over, and you're going to look at maybe North Korea, maybe you'll look at China, maybe you'll look at a bad jobs report? 
Uh, do you think there's well, a flag that, that we look back on? Yeah, well, you know, I guess always hindsight's twenty twenty, but I think it'll be right. more of a process rather than just one, you know, one headline that you know marks the official end to this to this bear market. But really, the or to the to the bull market, and so uh, it really, the, the the main factor everyone needs to keep tabs on is the direction of interest rates. That will ultimately, I think, determine when this bull market ends. You know, when we get you know interest rates that are a true competitive threat to stocks, uh, and which ultimately lead to a higher cost of credit, which Slows demand for credit, and which leads to a you know a general uh, slowdown in economic activity that that then starts leading to a more progressive pace of downward earnings revisions. Those are the factors that are going to come into play uh, that ultimately spell the end of the of the bull market. So we're not there yet, but keep a keep a close eye on uh, on interest rates because they will be the dictating factor. In the best, always good to talk to you. Patrick O'Hare, briefing.com. We're into the summertime months. I start my day every day with his page one, talking about what happened on Wall Street and why. I end my week with his big picture. There's a lot going on in the stock market right now. Story stocks, Twitter being added to the S P 500, Starbucks ex-chairman stepping down to maybe run for president in 2020. A lot of drama, just not on the price action of Wall Street. Find me online at robblackshow.com. Don't forget, there's another hour of today's show to listen to. Find it now at kdow.biz or on the KDOW radio app. Do you ever wish that you didn't invest in a technology that you did? And when I say that, like, do you wish you could have waited or could you have waited for an iPhone 5 instead of iPhone 4? Stick with it for one more year. It's one of my biggest regrets is growing up in a world of kind of a materialism of addiction to tech things, all things shiny. So when Apple announced at their Worldwide Developers Conference that they're going to try to curb addiction issues, I kind of don't believe it, (laughs) you know? I'm kind of sarcastic about it. Yes, one of the things that they announced in their new operating system is a system that is uh, going to monitor how much you use your phone and in what apps, and it's going to let you know. It's going to feel faster than the new operating system. They're doubling down on performance. Woo! They've got more Siri shortcuts. Siri's getting some improvements where users can set up predetermined Siri queries that automatically launch apps. If you say, help me relax, it can start playing music. Help me to fall asleep, it can start doing a meditation for you. Uh, if you need to order groceries, it'll launch a grocery delivery app for you. So there's some cute things like that, but... Nothing great. I mean, are you serious? Do not disturb before bedtime features coming to, or do not disturb during bedtime if features coming. How about just turn off your phone? Like, did Apple really innovate something there or a switch you could turn it off at nighttime? They've got some new emojis and FaceTime group calling and a little bit more augmented reality push because the first augmented reality is it's a joke. Uh, there's a new app called Measure, which lets you measure the distance between two objects, lines along surfaces and more. Instead of relying on measuring tape, you can just use your phone to check the dimensions of something. Um, I think that's kind of cute. You know, for a guy who, let's say you buy a house and you need a, a rug in a living room, you can now take a picture of the living room and, and figure it out without pulling out the old tape measure. Woohoo! But you could buy a tape measure for a dollar at a dollar store. So I don't know if I need a $1,000 phone to do that for me. Photos is going to have a ton of updates to its photo features, uh, which is good. 
a lot of app updates, CarPlay updates, but nothing that really tells me Apple is breaking through on anything. I think they're far ahead. I think they're a brand. I think the fact that they're a brand of Steve Jobs was cooler than Bill Gates. It's kind of living on today. I own shares of Apple, so I need to you know preface that a little bit. Um, it's maybe makes me sound like a cheerleader, which I don't want to be. But I've been telling you honestly what I own and I don't own for years. I don't own directly Amazon.com. I wish I did. I do own Google. I wish I had more. I think it's out of the big juggernaut tech companies, one of the best positions for the future. Um, I do own Apple. But when I bought Apple, it was because their hardware was king. Now I have to buy into the argument that their services are going to grow at a rate fast enough and profitable enough to keep me interested. Times are changing. Hardware products were always the pillar of Steve Jobs' famous speeches. Um, he would always end with this cool, shiny device that made Rob into an ape and uh, want to own it. Me want shiny device. Do you know I just paused there when I referred to myself as an ape? Because in this day and age, you need to be really, really careful what comes out of your mouth. That's right, Jack. When I was growing up, it was what you put in your mouth and what you ate you had to be careful about. But now it's what you say. And I go back again to, I want to create a TV show of fallen, of fallen people who've made terrible, terrible mistakes. It's going to be a sitcom. It's going to be Harvey Weinstein. It's going to be Roseanne Barr. It's going to be, um, who was Mad Max? Help me here. Um, actor. Oh, Mel Gibson. I'm going to do a TV show of just every vile human being that we want to go away. I'm going to put him on Netflix right in front of you. Is that going to be awesome or what? Awesome. Look at how many people ruin themselves. Um, it just goes to show you that I think in sports, more games are lost than won. And I think in life, same thing. So the future of tech, I, I, I go back to and I go... Eh. I do have kind of some regrets of spending, you know, so much money on shiny hardware. Not, not so much, but I have regrets about spending money in my 20s on, like, trying to impress women. I, I didn't know better. But now, in this day and age, as you get older, you go, I wish I know now. I wish I knew then what I know now, right? So Amazon's got this new digital key system that lets it deliver drivers, or let its delivery drivers... Not only into your home, but they just announced one where they'll deliver it into your car while you're working. Do we need that? I don't know. So I think sometimes we need to stop and, and, and say, let's take a look at this. For instance, I have a Ring video doorbell, right? Bought it two months ago, and it's been sitting, it's been sitting in my office forever. And I'm like, I don't really want to install it. I, I, I don't need more. I need less. 2018 smart home technologies will look different than 2017 and it will look different in 2019. With Amazon Key, you can install a camera to physically see a driver, talk to them, even you know yell at the, the neighbor's cat as it walks by. Which, there's a cat in my neighborhood that I'm just so surprised after four years it's still not run over. Um, I can't believe people let cats out like they do in busy areas. So... I don't know. At some point in time, like, will OpenTable set up a service where I could pay an extra $10 to have a friend eat dinner with me? Not any friend, just some friend. 
No more lonely nights for an extra 10 bucks I could actually pretend to have a friend. That's where tech's going. We're solving things we don't really need to solve. Like, do we really need to have an alarm? Do we really need Apple to tell us to turn off our phone at night? Or can we just do it ourselves? I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial money, investing, and more.